Lord. God is good. God is faithful. Hallelujah. It's a good day to serve God. It's a bad day to serve the devil because he's losing. You'd be on the losing team. Hallelujah. Let's just take a moment and pray over this word so we just draw and suck from it all that God wants us to have tonight. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We are grateful that your word is in our hands to better understand you, to better understand our enemy, and to better understand ourselves. We thank you, Father. We draw right now words from heaven. Speak through my mouth, Father, that we can hear what heaven is saying and bidding to us in this moment of time. Strengthen us and cause us to have ears to hear. We thank you that this word is protected by the blood of the Lamb, that no distraction or no disturbance will have place in this house tonight. And we give you praise and thanksgiving that our total attention is set on you. Our heart is set on things above. Our eyes are set on you. Teach us, train us, lead us, Father. Cause us to be what you've called us to be. That when we end this life, we go out triumphant, we go out valiant, and we go out strong in Jesus' name. And we thank you and we praise you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Praise the Lord. If you would tonight, open your Bibles with me for to 1 Thessalonians. I need a fan. Ooh, it's too hot. Ooh, I use my overcomer fan. That's what I use in my prayer house. Praise the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And it says to us, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, tonight we're going to go through some things that I'm sure some of you have already heard before, that you know before, but maybe we'll just get a refresher, okay? Hallelujah. So it says that, that God is going to sanctify us completely, and then he defines what we are completely. He said, you are a spirit, a soul, and a body. And he says he wants all of that preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you look at this, you realize we are three components. We are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. We are three components. Well, how can that be? Well, do you have an egg? An egg has a yolk, it has a white part, and it has a shell, right? So when somebody throws egg on your face, do you say, oh, I got an eggshell, egg yolk, and egg white in my face? No, you just say, I got egg in my face, right? All right? So there's lot, many things in the Word of God that are three component, all right? But because that's the pattern of God, that's how he created us to be, three components, body, soul, and spirit, all right? Now go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Is that the next one I had there? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Verse 17. 
If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So this body, soul, and spirit, this three-component being that you are, is a replica or could be symbolized as a temple of God. And the reason it's referred to as a temple of God is because it's the dwelling place of God. Go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or you do not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. So there it is again. You are a temple of God, or you are a dwelling place of God. You're made up of three components, but these three components are working together to make a place for God to live. And many times we think that we're praying to a God out here where all along your prayers don't have to get clear out there. They just have to be heard down in here. Okay? Because God lives and dwells within you. So if we are the temple of God, if we're the dwelling place of God, we're going to look tonight and we're going to run parallels between body, soul, and spirit and the original Old Testament setup that God created the temple to be. The blueprint of the temple, we're going to look at it and we're going to use it as symbolism of our body, soul, and spirit. Are you with me? Okay. So I want to show the first picture of the temple. Now these, now these aren't real deep and intricate, but back in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God brought Moses up onto the mountain to speak to him. And at the time he was speaking to Moses, he was laying out a blueprint and a way for man to come into the presence of God um, around all the um, what do I, ordinances and commandments of God of how man could actually approach God. And so this blueprint is a way and a manner of which man could approach God through the old covenant with all its rules, regulations, and laws. So the temple was a three-component thing. It had an outer court, it had an inner court, and then it had a holy of holies. It had three components. We have three components, okay? We have body, soul, and spirit, and we're made to be a replica of the temple, which had outer court, inner court, holy of holies. Are we all clear on this? Three components, three components. Okay, so the next slide, please. And what this picture, this is a little bit blurry. I apologize for that. But this shows what all was in these three pieces. The outer court, says north and south there, is all of this outside area. And in there was the altar of burnt offering and the laver, which is a washing place. And then we get to the inner court, which is called the holy place. And there was the table of showbread, the lampstand, the altar of incense. And then we got into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was actually at, which was a combination of the mercy seat, the cherubim, 
and all the contained, the things that God ordered Moses to put into it. So these three components we're going to look at tonight and see how they reflect our life as a New Testament believer. Okay? Are you, are you okay with that? All right. So let's start with the outer court, which is the body. Okay? And in the outer court, you can put that slide back up there. Kelly, we're probably going to flip back to this often. This one, not the other one. Okay? So the outer court had two things in it which was the laver or the thing for washing and the altar of burnt offering. Those are the two things that were in the outer court. The outer court is the, the way that most people saw the temple. If people on the outside were going to go to the temple, they were going to look for the outer court. Okay, the, the outer court is how people identified that it was the temple. All right? So the outer court is the part that people saw and they, they could acknowledge it by the, the way that people recognized it. So what do you think that is? The body. Okay. So our body is symbolic of the outer temple court. Okay. So in this outer temple court, what was to be done in this outer temple court? There was two things that were done. There was the washing. In particular, they had to wash their hands and wash their feet. Okay? But when you wash yourself, you wash your body. You don't shower your spirit, naturally speaking. Okay, if you get in the shower, what part of you gets wet? Okay, thank you. Just checking. All right? All right, you wash, okay? And that was done in the outer court. You wash your body. What's the other thing that's out there is the place of offering. The place of offering is in the outer court. Okay, I'm going to do my best to help because I gave them so many scriptures back there. All right, so we're going to, um, let's go to Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. What he's forming there is the body and breathe into no the nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being man's body came out of the dust of the ground are we all clear on that it came out of the dust of the ground all right so it comes out of the dust and then go to Genesis three nineteen, and it says in the sweat of your face this is the curse you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you shall return so you were created out of dust, you're going back to dust. Okay, tap yourself. This is going to be dirt again. It is going to be dust again. It is going to be dirt again, all right? So this body does not have any eternal value. This body does not have eternal significance. It doesn't have any eternal significance. In fact, um, you can look in the word in places, uh, 1 Peter 3, it talks about don't let it be the outward adorning, but let it be the hidden person of the spirit. Because this body has no eternal value or significance. All right? Are you catching that? All right. And so then um, we go on 
And we see in 2 Corinthians 4 that our outward man is perishing. The inward man is renewed by day by day. Meaning there is, no, uh, there is not enough anti-wrinkle creams in the world to keep your body from decaying and aging. It's just not possible. This body is going to get older. All right? There's no way to keep it from happening. Why is that? Because the ground was cursed to thorns, thistles, decay, corruption. And so we are a part, this body, this physical body, is a part of the ground that lives under the, under the curse of the ground. All right? So then we go on and we see that in that sacrifice, and go to Romans 12, we're, just, we're blazing through this to get to where we got to go. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living. What's done in the outer court? Sacrifice is done in the outer court, okay? And he's saying that that sacrificing of your physical body is holy, acceptable to God, but he says that's your reasonable service. That's only reasonable, that you present your body a sacrifice to God. Now, I want to tell you this. That is Christianity 101. You are going to have to make your body do some things it doesn't want to do because that's reasonable when you serve God. That's only reasonable when you serve God. We have to get at least to the point that we are willing to take this body and do the right thing from before God even when it doesn't want to. That's the bottom line, most basic principle of Christianity. I have to come out of doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. Are you getting that? Because that is reasonable service. That is what's reasonable, to just do the right thing with your body. In fact, the Word of God tells you that sins against the body, how damaging they are, because your body was designed to be a living sacrifice to God. We are supposed to be willing to offer ourselves up for His way, His plan, His thoughts, His direction, His way of doing things. That's reasonable. God gave his physical body and let it be beat, tormented, and hung on a cross for you. So the fact that you have to take yours to church once a week shouldn't be too threatening. Right? You know, he gave his body to be completely laid down. So surely we can take our body and do what's right. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. So that's the body. I have these all backwards. So let's go on back to our picture of the temple and let's look. So in the body, the body is where sacrifice takes place. The body is where the washing takes place. The inner court, there is three elements in there. There's the table of showbread, the lampstand, and the altar of incense. Now, I am no, in no way a Jewish scholar, okay? But we're going through this as the Spirit of the Lord gave it to me. Okay, so you have a body, you have a soul, and 
we're going these at an ascending order of prominence and uh, um, importance. Your body is the least important part of you. Your body is the least important part of you because it has no eternal value. When you get to heaven, you may not look like this body. It was just a, it was just a vehicle to get you around in, right? It has no eternal significance. If it can go back to dirt, I don't want to take it to heaven, right? All right, so now we have a soul, okay? But remember, we're sanctified holy, spirit, soul, and body. Okay, we have a soul, which is where our mind, our will, and our emotions are held. All right? So we have a soul where our mind, our will, and our emotions are held. We go back to Genesis 2, verse 16, and we want to look at some things here. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Remember this scene? Were you there? I didn't think so. All right. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So look at what the command is here. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Why is that? Because if you eat of the tree of the knowledge, the knowing of good and evil, it's going to affect your soul. You're going to start knowing good and evil where the intent of the Lord was originally that man had known no evil. But you're going to know good and evil from the time that you eat of it. All right? So... Man was going to come to a place of knowing good things and knowing evil things and not in a place of just communing with a spirit of God breathing on him. Instead, he was going to be able to become self-governing, self-discerning, self-determining because now it's going to awaken a component of man to know good and evil. Go to Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. This is after they sinned. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Look at that. They didn't know they were naked before. It opened up a new level of knowing. All right, next one. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They didn't know fear. Because fear is knowing evil. They didn't know fear until they ate of that tree. Next verse. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Next one. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Notice what happened when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They knew they were naked. They became afraid, and they decided to do something about it in their own strength. All of that happened because they ate where God told them not to eat. What happened is their soul came alive 
do evil things. Their mind, their will, and emotions came alive to evil things. All right? Their soul was whole before they ate of that tree. All right? And it shows us that they had a will governed by God before the tree, but after the tree, they have a will that they're governing themselves. Before they ate, it was what God desired. Not God controlled, God desired. But after they ate, they now developed their own desires, their own effort, their own way of doing things that wasn't necessarily God's way. All right? So we saw in, um, that in the inner court, there was three things in the inner court. You remember what they were? The showbread, the incense, and the lampstand. They're significant because all three of those are pertinent to your soul. The showbread was a symbol of God provides, and he's your source. Okay? The lampstand was a sign that God is your illumination, your revelation, your information, and gives light to your life. The incense was God is on you, and incense is always referred to as prayer in the word. So in this place, in their inner court, we have to make decisions. We have to make decisions that God is my source, God is my light, and I have communion and connection with God at will. Those are the things that have to happen in the inner court. This is what has to happen in our soul. We have to decide with our mind, our will, and our emotions, God is my provider, God is the light of my life, and I choose God. Those things have to be made. Those choices have to be made in your soul because the knowledge of good and evil, you all, man always had a choice, but now they have a choice that can be directed as much by God as it can be directed by evil. Because the knowledge of good and evil gives man the opportunity to choose between good and evil with both good and evil consistently influencing. Good is influencing and evil is influencing. But you have to make the choice. That's why it's an altar of incense. What are you going to choose? Amen? All right. Um, then we go over to the inner court or the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is. And um, this is symbolic of our spirit man. And this is where we want to get. The spirit man is the part of you where God can breathe. Let's go back to Genesis 2 verse 7 again. It's the part that gives us life. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Original renderings don't say a man became a living being. It says, and man became a speaking spirit. See, there was a body there, but there was no life in the body. There was no life in the body. The body was dead until a spirit was put into the man. All right, so a spirit, a living spirit 
was put into that man, and he became a speaking spirit. Now go to Genesis 2 again, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, every tree you may freely eat, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, we know that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they did not physically die. The word die many times is defined as separated from God. And what happened is man has this component within him, which is the real him where God is breathing. And what happens when man disobeys God the breath that breathes in him now becomes the breath of the enemy whose God they beca who became their God. So now we've got a, what we call a fallen nature because the breath that's breathing within man is no longer alive to God. It's aware of God, but it's not alive to God any longer Instead, the enemy has the opportunity to rule and reign over man. Okay? All right. So God is no longer able to breathe in them. He's just looking on them. All right? So this is what happens. John chapter 3. Jesus answered and said to him, this is Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Next verse. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what he's telling you here is your spirit man that came under the domination of darkness and is dead to God, now must come alive. And the way it comes alive is it can get reborn by you choosing Jesus as your Lord and Savior that you come back to allowing God to breathe in you once again. So that's what's supposed to happen. That spirit man gets reborn, so now it's once again under the influence of God. So if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God is able to breathe inside of you. All right? Let's go to John 14. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because their spirit man is not yet alive to God, because the world neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So once your spirit gets born again, the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence within your spirit. And you become the temple of God, where the spirit of God lives and operates. All right? So let's go over to 1 Corinthians. We're just walking through the word on this stuff. 1 Corinthians 2. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. 
For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him, even so no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And what he's saying here is this. Your spirit man, because it's alive now, and the spirit of God can live in you now, wants to show you things that only God knows. Wants to reveal things to you that only God has. That you've never seen it with your eyes. You've never understood it with your mind. But yet your spirit can tap into it and get it from God. Hallelujah. Because it's where the presence of God is today in the earth. Is within the believers. It's within us. We are the temple of God. The spirit of God is within us to do something awesome and great. Amen? So, we need to understand some things. You can have a problem in your body and it not affect your soul or your spirit. You can have a problem in your soul. It will usually, sooner or later, affect your body but won't be a problem for your spirit. If you get a problem in your spirit, your spirit, soul, and body will all suffer. Because of the way you progress through into the temple. If I take a tainted sacrifice into the outer court, I can't get it into the next two courts. If I take a tainted sacrifice into the middle court, I've crossed through the outer court. I can't get in to that other court. But if I take contamination into the holy of holies, it's affected every place I've been. So what we have to do is we have to focus and concentrate on protecting and guarding our spirit man. And let the spirit of God that is within us have its way that our soul and our body can be made well. That our soul and body can be made whole. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you get an ache and the problem is your attitude stinks? It's just the way it works. Have you ever noticed that um, when when your soul gets, unfor you get unforgiveness in your soul, which unforgiveness affects your spirit. Because God said, if you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. So unforgiveness is something that we just think, oh, well, you know, unforgiveness is damaging your spirit, man. And if your spirit man gets damaged, where the place where God is talking and communicating with you, your body and your soul are going to break down. 
Okay, should we go on to something else? Hallelujah. Each one of your body, soul, and spirit have regulators to know when something's out of order. How many of you have ever felt pain? That's the regulator of your physical body saying something's wrong or stop doing that or something is defective or something's not working right. See, pain is a regulator of your, in your body to let you know when something's out of order. In your soul, you have a thing called the conscience. And what the conscience is, I, I read this today, I thought this is so good. The conscience is the residues of God, of, his, of God's image that was left in man after the fall. Because God originally breathed into man, there was residues of God in every man that remained even though they gave themselves over to the enemy. But the problem with the conscience being the regulator of the soul is the conscience can develop problems. Okay, we're going to go through these really quick. John 8 verse 9. You see where we're at, Kelly? John 8, verse 9, and in this story, we have the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. And here it says they were convicted by their conscience. So a conscience that's whole and working right will convict you between right and wrong. Morally right, morally wrong. Your conscience will work and do that. Okay, go to 1 Corinthians 8, 12, the next one. But when you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, that means your conscience can get wounded and beat on by what others do. If you believe something is wrong and you see a believer doing it that you admire and honor, your conscience is getting wounded because you begin to question your direction of right and wrong. Your conscience can get wounded. All right, go to the next one. Having faith and a good conscience. You can have a good conscience, but you can reject a good conscience and you'll suffer shipwreck. See, God has got a conscience in your soul to help you live right. All right, go to the next one. But you can reject it. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared. Your conscience become, can become seared. It's interesting to me. Look how the conscience got seared by speaking lies. You sear your conscience when you're speaking lies because what your conscience is monitoring is truth and error. And if you speak enough lies, the truth and error gets distorted and you can't tell. Your conscience is seared. And the word seared means no longer being sensitive to right and wrong. And the way your conscience gets seared from right and wrong is you lying with your mouth. Okay, let's continue. Hallelujah. Titus, is that the next one? To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. So your conscience can get defiled. You can live so polluted 
and in such a bad way that your conscience can't even pick out what's wrong or right. How do people go to a shopping mall and open fire? They have no conscience. How do people do that? They've lived and entertained things in their soul so long that it's caused their soul to become defiled and polluted and they can't measure what's right and wrong in the conduct of living anymore. And their conscience becomes defiled. But the conscience was originally designed to help you know morally what's right and what's wrong. And it's very, 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 very important that you teach your children how to maintain a good, clean conscience. Because if you teach them how to maintain a good, clean conscience, they will choose right when everyone else is choosing wrong because they will not override their conscience. But the way you teach that is you don't permit lying like it's cute and fun because the lying will cause them to sear their conscience. Lying is under the guise of the father, the devil, and it will make their conscience distorted, and then they won't know right and wrong. How many of you have ever been around someone or had this yourself? You say something, a lie for so long, pretty soon you believe it yourself. Why can they keep doing that and believe it's right? Because their conscience is now seared. It's polluted and defiled. And so the conscience is not enough to rule and govern man any longer. Because man has ways to override their own conscience. All right? Man has ways to defile it, to pollute it, to make it insensitive. But then we get to, we have, so we have pain telling us when something is wrong in our, in our body. And sometimes it lies, okay? We have the conscience trying to regulate what's going out in our soul, but it can be changed, distorted, and not be effective. But then we've got what the regulator is and the guide is in our spirit man, and that's called the Holy Spirit. And it's never wrong. He's never wrong. He never misleads. He never misdirects, but the problem is sometimes we don't listen. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's saying, no, 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 no. And every time, every time you reject, refuse, or disobey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you're shrinking the influence of God in your own life. You're shrinking God's influence in your life, and then you begin to rely on these other mechanisms, such as body and conscience, to live your life right, but they're not really infallible. So now what we have happened is, now we're living a less than abundant life because the Holy Spirit with every one of his beckonings, every one of his communings with you, every one of his influences is trying to get you to a place you're as big in God as you possibly could be.
But that Holy Spirit has to be listened to, observed, and honored. Hallelujah. Because without listening to the Holy Spirit, we become a three-part being living below the standard we were designed to live. The word, um, the, the way that Adam was originally created was to have this constant communion in his spirit man with God. We walk in the cool of the day. We hang out. We, you know, hey, we're bros. I don't know how they talked, you know, but whatever it is. But we still are designed for that kind of fellowship with God. Because the design of Adam didn't change after the fall versus before the fall. The design of what God wanted for man originally put on Adam is present in you and me today. It's present within us today. So the fact that God wanted to commune constantly with, with um, the inner man in Adam is the same longing God still has for you and I today. But that is a deeper place in God. That's a deeper thing in God that you have to be able to skip past conscience, skip past pain, and get to where I am following the Spirit of God. I hold it right here because the Spirit of the man is the center, the core of the man. All right? Now, let's go back to look at that temple picture, the second one, and look and see what was in that inner court. That, it's called the most holy place. It's called the holy of holies. And in that is the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was a box that was made that they put items in it, the manna, the rod that budded, the things, particular things that God asked them to do. But the interesting thing about the Ark of the Covenant, which is a replica of your spirit man, it's where the mercy seat is. In your spirit is where you'll catch the mercy of God. In your spirit man, it's where God says, everything your body and soul are doing, I'm wiping it clean. It's in your spirit that's where that happens, where the blood is put. And it says, to, God says to Moses about the mercy seat, you put the mercy seat in that place, and on the mercy seat is where I will meet with you and where I will speak to you. So in your spirit, man, is where God lives and meets with you, and it's where God talks to you. We want him to talk out here, but there's too much noise out here. We can't specifically tell his voice out here, all right? We want him to speak to our head, but our head gets so confused with information, data, experiences, emotions, all this stuff that we wouldn't hear it clearly. So he reserves a place within us to speak to us that nothing else speaks into. He speaks to us in here to follow. And that speaking in here is to override our conscience and our body. It's to override it. And you think about what's in your soul where your conscience is trying to regulate. 
Um, you know, you got your mind, which is full of your thoughts. Some are good, some are not so good. So the spirit, your spirit then, the Holy Spirit rises up in your spirit and says, don't think that anymore. See, he's trying to correct and cleanse your whole being. So it rises up. Okay, then you got your will, which I always call your will is your wanting. And sometimes we're trying to pray about laying something down. You know what you need to pray about first? Pray that God will help you not want it. Because if you don't desire something, you don't play with something. So get your desire changed and it'll fall off. Okay. So the Spirit of God is saying, don't go after that. Don't desire that. Don't lust after that. Go after me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added. Because if you get into a combat in your soul of how to accomplish, how to achieve, how to gain, how to get, you're going to have just that constant combat in your soul. But if you'll lay yourself on the seeking the me in the spirit of God, if you'll just search out the spirit of God, I will take care of everything in your body and soul. The only way to get you whole is to get your spirit man alive to God. And the more alive your spirit man is, the better it is. You know, the, um, the other thing in your soul is your emotions. And um, your emotions, you can think of your emotions this way. Your emotion is what puts you in motion. Okay? If I'm sad, I go down with that. If I'm happy, I come up with that. And God is saying, if you'll tap the spirit that's within you where the fruit of the spirit is, your emotions will always align to my emotion. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of that is in your spirit, man. That is not in your soul. The fruit of the Spirit is in your spirit. And so what we've got to do is focus on drawing it out of our spirit. So many times we forget that what the Holy Spirit does in our life is a thing called convict. He convicts. What is conviction? Conviction is the telling of error the telling of error. And some people so hate to be told error that they will do anything to avoid conviction. I am not going to church today. I am not going to talk to them today. I am not calling my mom today. I'm not going to call her. You know, I'm not going to see them today. I don't want to read my Bible today. I definitely don't want to pray today. Because all of that means vulnerable to conviction. But the truth is that conviction is the only thing that will move you to a better life. It's the only thing that will move you to a better life. What is conviction? Conviction is the challenge of you're not perfect yet. Here's another step we take. But people don't like conviction. You know why we don't like conviction? Because 
of God creating us in his image and likeness and giving us dominion. We were made, just like Adam's design was, to have the answers of life. So we don't like it if we haven't got the answer for life. In fact, we always have the answer for everyone else's life. Right? Because we were made to have answers. And sometimes if we don't have an answer, we make one up. Because we were designed to have answers. Okay? Because that was in Adam's original design. But the problem is we're not listening to our spirit where God is dwelling for our answers. We're listening to our soul and our body for the answers. And the spirit of God, the only way he can get correct information and data to you is if you'll listen to your spirit. Now, the beautiful thing of it is, is he gave us this word of God so we could distinguish if it's our spirit or our soul. Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is able to distinguish between soul and spirit. Is that my conscience or is that the spirit of God within me? Well, find something in the word and it'll tell you, no, that was you. No, that's God. So that's the way it works is if we get enough time in the word, we will know because we do not want to be conscience led. We want to be spirit of God led. Now he is in there. And he's calling out to bring you something to take you to a higher life. He's calling out to give you a nugget that might change you, that might challenge you, that might perfect you, that might alter your life. But we can't shut it down by what we know here. The Spirit of God is in there yearning to bring you to the best life possible. The Spirit of God is in there as a guide and a directive of what your life could really be. And it's the place that God meets with you. What tongues is, what tongues is of praying in tongues is that spirit within you able to communicate out your mouth. That's what it is is communicating out your mouth what the Spirit of God is going doing in here. And, you know, the Spirit of God is without limit, without time, and without space. And he's living within you, trying to get you to operate in a place without limit of time or space. He's trying to operate that through you where you're not limited by deadlines and times on the clock. You know, where broken bones heal faster than six weeks. That's what he's trying to do. And he's trying to give you information and nuggets to do that. That's why Jesus said, I never say anything unless I hear my father say it. I never do anything unless I see my father do it. Because he's waiting for communication in the inner man before he does anything outwardly. And it's in that place where God meets you and he speaks to you. 
See, we all have this option. We can be a natural man, which the definition of a natural man is a man without God. The word of God sometimes says a mere man. We can be a carnal man. And what a carnal man is, a man that knows God but obeys the flesh. That's what a carnal man is. I know what God says. I know what God expects. I know how God does this. However, I'm going to do it this way instead. And then we've got the spiritual man. And what the spiritual man is, is the one that listens to the spirit within them. The one that listens and obeys God in every situation. The one that is looking for a word from God. You know, when, when it's time for you to leave this life, your spirit, once your spirit leaves your body, your body dies. It begins to decay. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So your body is kept alive by your spirit. Okay? Now, many times in today's, the way things work today, a spirit will even leave a body and they'll keep it alive on life support, but all they're keeping alive is the mechanics. The lungs are going in and out. The heart is going dump, 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 dump. I've seen people like that, and it's like they ain't there. You've got all these machines and all this mechanics is working, but there is no living spirit within this person because once they flip the switch, it's done, right? So your spirit is what keeps your body and soul alive. Now, when you die and leave this physical body, your spirit and soul both live for eternity. Both your spirit and your soul live for eternity. And your soul will still have memory of this life. Because um, you remember the story of the rich man that died and Lazarus that died. And the rich man died and he said, well, send Lazarus to go to my brothers that are still alive. Well, if your memory was evaporated, he wouldn't have remembered that. He had brothers, and he wouldn't have remembered Lazarus. Your memory is in your soul, okay? Now, aren't you glad when you get to heaven, you walk through the gates, you walk through the river, whatever you got to walk through, and God cleans that memory so all the regret doesn't hang on you, right? But there's still awareness. That's how, will you know somebody in heaven? Well, do you know them now? Because if you know them now, you'll know them then. They're still going to remember you. Your family and friends that have gone on before you are going to know you when you come through the gate. All right? They're going to know you because that's all a part of the part of you that lives forever. It lives forever. But the key is living this life today in a way that it's governed and it's controlled by the spirit of God within us and not by our head and not by our body. All right, we're, we're called to be a spirit people, not a fleshly people and not a carnal people. So don't think of yourself as ordinary or unimportant. The spirit of God is in you to change a world. The spirit of God is in you. And don't think you are your body. And don't even think you are your soul. The spirit of God is in you if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life to direct, guide, and keep you and move you to an abundant life. Amen? Amen. You're very, very important to God.
Hallelujah. And we know we've got to renew this mind. We've got to renew it. Because what, what are we going to renew this mind to? Well, we've got to renew it so that conscience stays clean. The conscience stays right. So the conscience stays good. Because when the conscience is good, the Spirit of God can work. Because once the conscience becomes defiled, then the conscience shuts down the Spirit. I don't, I, we probably don't want to go into all of that, do we? Praise the Lord. So, in light of that, allow the Spirit of God within you to talk and communicate. And if you're in this house tonight and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, that's where you have to start. You have to start and give the Spirit of God a place to dwell within you where you're willing to come under the lordship of Jesus and he has an opportunity to speak to you, guide you, and direct you in all the affairs of this life because it's where God wants to communicate with you. It's where he wants to commune with you. You are a spirit being. You have a soul and you just live in a body. Okay? But the most important, the most valuable part of you is the spirit of you because God's living in there. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church, and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you praising God.